0: For your air candy with KK, the music never sleeps.
1: Get ready for your sugar high with coffee and candy. Candy, candy,
0: candy, Back again, back again in the studio, coffee and candy KK, Cisco Kennedy and JC. What up, what up, what up? Happy no. to be here. Another episode of Air Candy. That's right. We're keeping it, keeping it rolling, keeping it moving. believe this is episode 11 if i am keeping track of things this is called the live show in the past week or so we've had a lot of live show experiences as we were both a fan at a live show and then also being performers at a live show performer slash organizer right yeah yeah the last couple of weeks uh have been very interesting we've been playing a lot of roles wearing a lot of hats and we are going to kind of break down just everything that uh, it it takes to kind of make this all happen.
2: Without a doubt. I mean, let's just start off talking about the live show from a fan base. Mm-hmm. So last Friday, it was June 16th. You and I had the great experience of going to the Xfinity Center in Massachusetts to see two friends perform. And for those that don't know, two friends consists of a electronic DJ slash music production duo. uh, Two young guys here from the US. Mm -hmm. uh, And they're on tour. They've been on tour now for several weeks. And they made their stopover here in the Northeast. And we had an opportunity to go and see them. It was great.
0: I loved every aspect of it. From the moment I walked in to when we were seeing the opener act. um, To like when they came on and all the Lights theatrics of how they put on their show um the actual dj table slash spaceship that they had made to go with their whole theme right
2: listen it was absolutely great i mean the opening acts were all great all very different but complemented each other in different ways Uh, and then the actual production and performance of two friends for me, it was just off the chart, but it reminded me of something that you said to me a long ago when we sort of began the journey, and you said to me that a lot of the festivals and live performances that I go to are so much more than the music. And of course, I I knew what you were talking about because all of the DJs and performers have uh, visuals, pyrotechnics, flames, fireworks, fireworks. Um, CO2 cans uh, and then, you know, video feeds and graphics and it all comes together. And oftentimes it's very well synchronized. The fireworks or the flames or the pyro will be synchronized with the drop or the music will be synchronized with the video. And perhaps there'll be catchphrases of a song that'll be you know, displayed in a video slide. And, and of course, I've been seeing and enjoying this as a fan for many, many years, but never really thought to myself that, oh, it is so much more than the music because when I'm there, all I'm thinking about is sort of the music and the song and being overloaded in the senses. But when I step back from it, having been sort of on the production side with you and the DJing side with you and Coffee and Candy for the last year, and now I'm actually sitting with you shoulder to shoulder in the audience at one of these shows, it it just dawned on me how much of the visuals play a role in bringing it all together.
0: Yeah, and at that same time, we were in—you were in—the final stages of uh, like planning an event that you had coming up that very next night downtown, Providence, Rhode Island, for Pride Fest. There was a block party going on that we had a lot of involvement in, um, and you played a big, big role in getting that all orchestrated.
2: Definitely, there was a whole team involved, and by no means am I looking to take. Uh... A lot of the credit. I mean, it should respread spread amongst all the people that are involved. But essentially, uh, Providence Pride weekend happens once a year in June, the downtown area sort of shuts down, the roads get closed, there's a major parade, uh, sort of a celebration of the lights, if you will. When that's all said and done, there are block parties on every corner. And last year, I did it for my first time uh, in my capacity as a DJ. And this year, I had a chance to do it again on a much larger scale. Uh, and I had an opportunity to work with Tony DeSpirito of DeSpirito Productions. Lots of live DJs: Dupe, O'Sheen, mm-hmm. Von Doom, Luciano G, uh, and Marcus Christian, Julian Kim. Who else am I missing? But more, and and it was all going to lead up to the headliner of Jonathan Peters, who had traveled in from New York. Who, by the way, is a great guy, and I'll comment on him momentarily. But a lot went into this, this staging. The lights, the LED walls, the visual effects like the CO two cans, um, the placement of the staging, the size of the staging, the size of the staging, I should say, the platforms for the dancers, and then figuring out how to build the DJ schedule. And fortunately, I had the benefit of working with a lot of professional, easygoing guys that only care about the music. No one has like an ego, and everybody just sort of worked hand in hand. And But for the weather, I mean, it was great. Everybody showed up on time. Everybody had their music ready to go. Everyone performed their own style. Everyone had about an hour plus to play. And a lot went into it. But when I had that experience, and I think to myself, oh, my God, how many people and what sort of level of resources was necessary to pull off the Two Friends show, not just At the Xfinity Center, but all over the country. And it's like mind blowing. Yeah. So
0: now that that's been experienced and done, the question that's on my mind is, what would you do different the next time around? Because there's more block parties coming. So now you're more educated on all of this. And I'm sure you've been taking some notes and there were some great things that you loved. And I'm sure there were some things that you were like, this could have been done better and that's just a natural flow of growth right you just kind of learn as you go so just kind of talking out loud is there something like off the bat not to put you on the spot I'm putting you on the
2: spot like what would you do differently it's a great question I haven't been asked that um, when I think back to the block party itself uh, the major negative of it all was the weather I mean, we had bad weather, there were torrential downpours, and we had two sites. We had the Mathewson Street site, where you know that runs along the restaurant, the George, located at 121 Washington Street. And then we had a parking lot behind the Frisky Fries, Blake's Tavern location, also on Washington Street. And we had only had adequate covering for the Mathewson Street side, which is the street itself. Um, But we didn't have covering for the parking lot and the downpours and the weather, they just ruined the experience. The crowd just wasn't coming out or at least they weren't coming out to that particular location. So I think the weather was something that we could only plan so much for in advance without breaking the bank and paying for all these tents. And there are very expensive event insurance policies that you can purchase uh, and but but those things can you know really skew the projected profit margin of an event like that. Sure. So that sure. that's definitely one of the things that comes to mind that uh, I wish we could have done differently. In other words, have an adequate planning or Plan B in place um, for, for weather, because the block party is part of the Pride weekend and it's a rain or shine event. There was no rain date, so yeah. you either had to roll with it or you didn't. Well, speaking of planning, how many weeks or months in
0: advance did this planning start?
2: What about that? You know what? Actually, that's great. So the planning for the two separate sites probably began, you know, maybe six weeks out prior to the event itself. And uh, the Mario Puro, uh, a former manager of the George and a good friend of ours, He was sort of like the lead organizer of all of the outdoor block party celebrations. You know, logistics from uh, alcohol to bars to staffing, security, licensing, uh, permitting, you name it. Mario was really like the go-to point man for this. And that was one of Mario's criticisms. That in the future, this is a great event. We made the absolute most of it. It was successful overall. But next year, we want to be bigger and better. And to do that he projected that we start the planning six months out rather than six weeks out. And he makes great points about that.
0: Yeah. I would suggest now, unfortunately, I wasn't there. So it's not like I can put like a lot of my two cents in. But if there's like one thing I think could help next time is to have one stage instead of two stages. Some people might disagree, but I I think... If everything is focused on one site and then all the preparations for the weather and all those other things, um, I, I think that could have made it a little more successful if there was just one site for everyone instead of having two, like, two separate sites that were kind of bounced. Go here, go there, go here, go there.
2: Well, no? here's my response to that. Okay. Um, I think there are pros and cons to both. So there are certain venues in downtown Providence, and I won't name them, that put on very large scale spectacular productions. And they put on those productions in very large surface parking lot areas, and they do it for three days or three nights in a row, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And the places that typically do that are are known gay venues, like uh, there's The Stable, there's The Dark Lady, The Alley Cat, and Club Ego. You know, I was affiliated with the restaurant, The George. It's not a known gay venue, but of course, we're very gay friendly. Uh, our operating manager and partner, at Partner Alex Tommaso, is gay. And, and of course, he's well known within the gay community. But given that we are a restaurant and not a night spot, uh, Alex and the team at The George made the determination that we weren't going to rock the block party three nights in a row. It was just going to be one night. And this year, we thought we would expand it beyond Matthewson Street, which was successful last year, and acquire as a second site that larger parking lot. And we contracted with a headlining DJ, Jonathan Peters, out of New York to come. If we had contracted Jonathan Peters and only had the Matthewson Street location, it wouldn't have worked from a business venture standpoint because the amount of surface space on Mathewson Street would not have accommodated the size of the crowds that we anticipated with Jonathan Peters. So I think that if we went with one site, we would cut loose Mathewson Street and only focus on the larger surface lot. But um, again, that presents a lot of logistical challenges because Mathewson Street runs adjacent to the restaurant where we have kitchens and supplies and storage and staff and restrooms, whereas the parking lot is completely off site. So everything there needs to be sort of self-sustaining throughout the event. So I think you raise a good point. Uh, I think a lot of it will just come down to the size or the magnitude of the production that they want to have last year. But one of the things that hurt us this year in terms of planning, you indicated what could we have done better I don't know that there were enough people on site early morning Saturday during the setup because when the contractor came to install the tents, they placed the tents at such a location on Mathewson Street that we lost a considerable amount of space on the road leading up to the intersection. And had the tent been shifted back by, say, 50 feet even 75 feet we would have been able to fit another several hundred people on that block wow that many yeah yeah Yeah. so that that hurt us and i think that that's definitely something that could be and should be done better next year
0: live and learn live and learn but these are all the behind the scenes things that that
2: a lot of people just don't really get a chance to sort of uh hear about the behind the scenes stuff is like endless yeah Like, like armando It's licenses and permits from the city. It's securing the location to do the block party, not just the street itself, but the owner of the parking lot and getting them to lease it to us for 24 hours. It's having adequate security to maintain the area so that there are no fights that break out and you can do proper ID checks. It's ordering enough alcohol and product so that you have everything on hand to service the crowds once they show up. It's ticketing to make sure that folks are only getting in if they have a ticket or being able to sell tickets if folks want to buy at the door. And we were charging in the parking lot area. The Mathewson Street event was free. It's restroom facilities contracting with enough porta johns in the area. Then it's hooking up with the right staging and production folks. So we had uh, Dispirito Productions. Tony does a great job. He brought in staging, LED walls. Uh, He brought brought in trusses, lights, and just exceptional sound. Uh, and then he found another company, uh, the name escapes me, to set up the second off-site stage. Mm-hmm. Then there was a power issue. So we had to rent adequate generators. I know that the generators that were dropped off that morning were not adequate. They didn't have the right connections or there was a short in them. So Tony was trying to chase down that company as the afternoon came upon us to get replacements. That was an issue. There were the ice trucks that we needed to contract with, the food trucks that we needed to contract with. And and this is all part of the production. Then it was lining up the DJ schedule, the flyer, the marketing, the promotion. It was social media. It was online. It was radio. This was a big, big, big undertaking. And I learned a lot from it from an organizer standpoint. And then we haven't even talked about it yet. I learned a lot from the DJ perspective because you and I spent so much time here in the studio prepping the set which to me is just the most important thing
0: yeah so let's talk a little bit about that everyone goes to a show and they just hear what they hear they see what they see and they just have their own thoughts and opinions on it but there's so much work that goes into this as you just explained that was all just the planning for the event to take place without it yeah, yeah yeah have something to go to
2: yep yep when it comes to the DJing there's so many different ways to approach it now most of the DJs that we're affiliated with that came to play they all first of all they all did a great job but they all have different styles now I don't know what planning and preparation uh they went through before they arrived that's their business it is but but here's my point a lot of them were live mixing they were selecting their tracks perhaps they had an order in mind perhaps they didn't and they were doing a lot of live mixing you know blending beats over beats to give the audience that sort of live mix experience which is a lot of fun and it's great and i i do that with you all the time we're always successful when we do it but going into an event like this That's not the experience I was looking for. You know, guys like O'Sheen and Dupe, they mix by ear. They've been doing it for years. They're veterans. They're legends in their own kind. And then you got guys like uh, Luciano G and Von Doom. They play a lot of tech house music. They're also mixing live. They love to play long sets, two hours, three hours, four hours, similar to what you do sometimes playing these six-hour sets. Mm -hmm. That is not what I prefer. I wanna be able to walk into a venue and I wanna be able to deliver a memorable, flawless performance. And I think the only way to do that is that set needs to be planned and built before you arrive. And when I go to these festivals every year, Ultra, EDC, electric zoo and the list goes on that's exactly what the djs are delivering unless you're at so like the carl cox tent and you're following the underground scene there's a lot more live mixing going on but on that main stage when those show-stopping a-listers like t-s doe and afrojack and martin garricks and and, and marshmallow and the rest are on that stage they are not chancing how that set's going to come out being mixed live And I now know that. I doubted it for the longest time. I fought you on it for the longest (laughs) time. But I now know that, that they are building tiny bites of sound. Maybe they last a minute long, two minutes long, three at the most. And they're building it in the production software using one of these digital audio workstations, Logic Pro Tools, Apleton, and that is how they're able to get that flawless, tight mix with a phrase from this song and a drop from this one and a chorus from a third and so forth and so on. And that's the style that motivates me. That's what I find to be so interesting. The mixing live is cool, but after a while it's just a redundant beat. The pre-planned set built in the software to me is like a masterful painting of exotic colors and strokes and shapes that changes. And to me, that's the artwork of it. Like I'm so envious of two friends, Big Booty Mix, those guys nail it every time. So I wanted to be able to show up with the pre-planned set and you and I spent weeks doing it. Making all of those IDs, all of those custom edits for the you know sixty or so songs, maybe a few or forty something, I guess, that went into that set. And and personally, you know, I made a couple of small mistakes that I don't think the audience picked up on, but it was delivered and received just as I had hoped, and the crowd loved it. And at the end of the day, that was my greatest reward. Yeah, yeah, and and you had a vision.
0: And you executed it. So even though most of the set was built in the studio, you still had the job live in the moment to executing that track by track, mix by mix, and making it sound flawless. That, that you did do.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. And there were certain tracks that got blended one to the other. Mm -hmm. and and that But that was all pre-planned and and auditioned to make sure it was going to work as well as it did.
0: I think uh, the final track list was 47 songs
2: yeah i think you're right but the set that i delivered could never have been delivered live as flawlessly as that was because the music could not have been cut in and out as quickly it would have been impossible and that's the beauty of being able to operate the software which is why my personal focus for my personal growth is going to go away from the live mixing and The blending and focusing on the CDJs, which I feel like I know more about now than I ever did, and just focus on the software. Because to me, that's the future of this industry.
0: Yeah. The modern DJ is also a producer.
2: Without a doubt. And the folks that fail to embrace that, sooner or later, are going to become um, outdated for this industry, and they're no longer going to be relevant. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now, take me through the process of how you got started to come up with those 47 songs that ended up being like the set.
2: How did you start? Listen to me. It was all natural. There was no deep thinking about it. It's as simple as this. I have been a fan of electronic festival style music and sets for as long as I can remember. And about 10 years ago, I started to go to Ultra and not only do i go there live but i listen to those sets over and over again and i have throughout the years and my mind just gravitates to what works it's like it's like you in the studio, um, you know what sounds are going to work when you're putting together a new production, you know what songs uh, are going to be a big hit, so you'll focus on what's to remix, and when you bring something to me, I know instantly if it's a hit or not, and how many times am I telling you, no, that's not going to work, and I'm sometimes I'm afraid to hurt your feelings, but it's important to be honest, yeah. and you know, like when we did the Castles in the Sky flip. Yeah. Tell me why. And you came up with one version. I came up with the other. And I said, no, this is not going to yeah. work. And even you are playing the JC version. I don't know. I just <laughs> have an ear for it. So I went through my folder. One of my folders is called Big Room. And I went through all the songs, the ones I knew that would work. You know, I started out with nearly 100 yeah, there was 100 in that first link you know, that you sent me from Dropbox.
0: That's right. And then
2: I was like, all right,
0: we need to narrow this down yeah. because there's no way we're fitting all 160 yeah. minutes.
2: But we could have. We would just have to work a lot harder on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But but that's it. I just went through the big room set list and I said, you know what? Boom, 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 boom. And, and listen, it took me 30 minutes to put together that list. I'm sure it did. And for which, those which guys. Fast, I thought.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For those guys out there that have maybe been uh, like struggling with something like this and be like, but how, you know, but how, how are you doing? We used and Key, Mm -hmm. a software to help us, you know, we dumped all the the hundred songs in there and then that helped us uh, like come up with the order by key selection and like the energy of what we felt was going to be the final set. So, There is a lot of strategic planning when it comes to picking the order of the songs and building the vibe of the set.
2: Without a doubt. Now, when I selected the songs for that piece, I didn't use Mixed and Key. We used Mixed and Key just to simply get the order for the final set. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting that you brought up this concept of mixing key, because as I was having conversation with Von Doom and Luciano G, and there might have been someone else there uh, in the bar while the show was going on, they were just speaking with me about their DJ style. And, you know, neither of them, if I recall correctly, put a whole lot of emphasis on the song's key when they're mixing. Uh, They like to listen to the song and see if the tempo and the sound of the song is going to work. And perhaps their natural ability gravitates towards keys that work together. I'm not so sure. We didn't talk about that. But they're not intently focused on mixing and key. And when I got involved in this world and I started studying and taking classes with you and watching videos online and listening to other big-time producers... And I remember Zed talking about how he always mixes in key. Yeah. I said to myself, well, if Zed mixes in key, then JC's gonna mix in key too. (laughs) And I started little by little poking you when we would be at these gigs saying, oh, Mondo, why are you picking that song? It's not in key, it doesn't match. Look at the Camelot key. What are you doing? What are you doing? But a year later, you now see the value in it. And this is what's great about us. I learned so much from you, but from time to time, I think you take a few lessons from me too.
0: I do. I do. I can admit that there is a lot in the past two years um, that I have adapted to and it's made me... 10 times better at all of my skills all of my skills thank you
2: thank you thank you for all that uh, i've learned from you this has been a great journey and a great experience
0: that's the beauty of partnership and when you trust your partner you know that they only have your best interest at heart and you guys want to grow together that's the whole point of this is it's nice to be in the studio and make records for us to hear and like amuse ourselves but at the end of the day, we do have a goal and we want this stuff to get out there to the
2: masses, right? I couldn't agree more. And speaking of the masses and getting out our songs and our sounds, perhaps on the next podcast, we can talk about what we've learned about visuals and how important it is to put those together for the masses as just another way of communicating to others what coffee and candy has to offer. Because one, one piece that I didn't mention as part of the organization and execution of the block party is that we contracted with photographers and videographers, a team of folks who came in with various style cameras and drones and were able to capture so much wonderful footage of the lights and the effects and the music and the DJs, and most importantly, the crowds and those uh, those uh, individuals yep. put that all together for us. Are now working on visual clips for Coffee and Candy, which little by little we're going to start to release and share with others. And I am so excited! Yeah, for
0: that that will add to our content for all of our social media, right? And that's a whole other aspect of being a DJ: is you got songs, but then now, how do you advertise what you do, right? And content, 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 content. If, if you don't know about content creating now, you obviously live under a rock. Uh, just like this podcast, this podcast is content creation for our brand. And that's why we continue to do it. We know a lot of people look forward to each episode. Um, I have a list of people that have been uh, like trying to get on for a feature. They're like, hey, man, I heard a couple of episodes, you know, it's so and so and so and so. I would love to get on and, and, and kind of, you know, talk about my experience, my aspects of. Like what I've been through in the last 20, 30 years of DJ, I said, hey, great. We want that. You know, We want that engagement. So we look forward to uh, a lot more features in the studio with all sorts of DJs um, telling their side of the story of what they experience as a DJ
2: as well. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. So anyone out there that wants to be part of our podcast and come on as a guest, we'd be glad to have them. Yeah, we all learn from each other. But as we wrap up this episode of the live show, we're going to kick this off with a mix, as we always do. I think for this episode, we should play
0: our set from the Pride Block Party.
2: Let's do it. Intro included.
0: Intro included. By the way,
2: fabulous intro you put together. I love it. We're going to use that time and time again. Let's share it with our audience.
0: All right. This is Coffee and Candy, Air Candy Podcast, episode 11, the live show.
2: Let's do it.
3: Get ready for your sugar high hi, hi, hi.
1: Stronger more than ever, more after our work is never Working harder, making better, do it faster, makes us stronger Should. I have to praise you like I should.
3: Oh Are beautiful, and every night has a state so magical. And if there's love in this life, there's no obstacle that can't be defeated. For every tyrant to tear for the vulnerable, and every loss, so the bones of a miracle. For every dreamer, a dream unstoppable with something to believe so a come- I've been drunk, I'm doing my thing Rolling the make beside and now Living my life again, I'll dream People tell me, slow my road I'm screaming out,
1: that I'm bad I'ma do just what I want Looking in, no turning back if I, bow, if I die, I know I live it till the bullets If I die, I know I live it, miss them, bullets I'm going up the subway Say hmm We had back, then, Takes me back to we used to feel We're going so
0: Make them wanna bite? I just wanna have a good night. I just wanna have a good night. Go. You can have they anybody, anybody, no. Any Cause when you're boss, you can do what you want. Keep playing, baby. and candy.